0: we are in we've been in a series a message series titled this sent and the subtitle of the of the series has been finding purpose in unexpected places i don't know about you but like i'm not a i'm not the biggest fan of like unexpected types of situations for me i don't know about you it's a little bit more difficult for me speaking on behalf of myself to find purpose sometimes in places that you aren't necessarily expecting and, and here's what I know: life throws us curveballs, right? Even in our curve, even throws us curveballs in our attempt to live and exist in life. When it comes to other human beings, that sometimes we adore, other times human beings absolutely annoy us, right? So in this series, we've been talking about this big, massive idea that where there's people, there's purpose. That whether we like it or not, we are all sent people. You might be like, "Well, I don't, I didn't hear the, the heavens didn't part, and I didn't hear God tell me to go on a mission," right? But you are on mission, you are sent to people regardless if you admit it, want to admit it or not because you typically have a job or in spaces where other people exist and we're trying to find purpose in the midst of all those places where we find ourselves in our life's rhythms um, where we have been sent to people. Now specifically this morning, if you're taking notes, the title of this message is really simple. It's this, take a chance. And this morning... Um, we're going to be taking, talking about taking chances on people, right? As we talked about human beings, as we talked about, as we've been talking about other people, um, taking chances on people sometimes can be a really difficult thing. What does taking a chance on a person look like? Typically, it looks like entrusting others with their own autonomy and independence, right? Um, for those of you who have kids who went back to school this week, this really relates to you because. When you're dropping off a preschooler at school for the first time, you are entrusting on a new level of autonomy and independence for that person, right? Callie and I, um, I, was, I was claiming to be the strong one in the midst of this as we dropped off Luca uh, for preschool for the first time this week. But it was one of those things where it was like we dropped him off and, like, I couldn't even, like, talk, you know what I mean? Like, Kelly's like, well, take the other door, take the other door, take the front door, you know, because like, welling up, you know, eyes are welling up, I can't get a word out, <laughs> like, you know what I mean, just like, throats closing up, because I just got so emotional, because it was this massive moment and milestone and no matter what grade your your kid might have gone into this past week it's this new level of autonomy and trusting that this little human being is going to execute its own independence and as a parent that is absolutely mind-boggling because we are so used to our babies being our babies and having that control but as maturity and time goes on how many guys know there's more autonomy there's more independence we take a chance On a person, we take a chance on a preschooler walking into their classroom for the first day of pre-K, and it's difficult. We resist it. Everything inside of us makes it feel like, for us, it's completely unnatural. But I think about the early church. Twelve sketchy dudes. Twelve, like, unimpressive guys that Jesus picks. And somehow this multiplies out to be a few billion people, right? Right? Somehow, can you imagine for a second, if you were a person that had a great idea and it scaled to be something that multiplied out to be billions of people being influenced and impacted by your idea. People would be knocking at your door saying, what have you been doing? How did you do this? How did you scale this type of growth what in the world did you do and we're going to be looking at a story of the early church here where these two specific uh, characters paul and barnabas they took a lot of chances they took a lot of chances on people as we'll see so we're going to break it down i had you guys turn to acts chapter 14 and we're going to read seven verses here so we're going to read it and then we're going to hopefully break this down in a really digestible way, and, and walk away with some pretty pretty practical things this morning. So let's read Acts 14, starting with verse 21. It says this, Paul and Barnabas, they, they preached the gospel in Derbe, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Let's pray as we continue. Lord, I just pray if there's one thing that we get away with this morning, from this morning, and from what you're speaking and doing, it's this idea that we would take chances on people. Lord, would you help us? It's unnatural for us as human beings to give away control. For some of us in the room, there's maybe different degrees of control that we control that we can identify in our lives. Maybe there's, for some of us, there's some areas that you're going to highlight, but Lord, we're just, we're submitted to maybe the things that you want to show us so that we can live life abundantly in the vision that you would have for us, Lord. So we're just thankful that you invite us into what you define as a new life, a new birth. And Lord, we don't grow up just naturally, but Lord, maturity is something that requires intentionality, taking risks, and trusting certain people or certain things in areas that man, it just doesn't feel like we should. But Lord, help us this morning. Help us identify those areas. And Lord, be with us in, in our midst. Lord, we're just thankful that you're in relationship. You're not mad at us. You're not sitting up in the heavenly realm with your arms crossed disappointed. But Lord, you're, you're right here in our midst this morning and you want to speak new things in our hearts that helps us grow to be the people that you've called us to be. So speak powerfully to each and every one of us this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said. Amen. Okay, we're going to break this down a little bit this morning. There's so much here uh, that I want to get to. But let's let's first look back up at Acts 14, verses, verse 21, and really the first half of, half of that verse, uh, 21a. And it says this, this, this section of scripture begins by saying this, and, and speaking of Paul and Barnabas, these two guys, right, these two leaders of the early church, it says, they preached the gospel in Derby and won a large number of of disciples. I love this. I love that this section of scripture starts off with this idea of winning a large number of this word called disciples. Cuz this is what the church is all about. The church is all about disciple making. Why does the church of Jesus exist? To make disciples. What does the church of Jesus produce? Disciples. What is the primary calling of a follower of Jesus? Well, it's to be a disciple who makes disciples wherever you are. It's interesting because more than 14 chapters earlier, there's a prequel to the book of Acts. We're in the book of Acts right now, but there's a prequel to the book of Acts, and it's the gospel of Luke. It's the eyewitness account of this follower of Jesus, Luke, who pens down and then writes this sequel. He Eyewitness accounts, writes these eyewitness accounts of Jesus and his ministry, and then he keeps it going. It's the only gospel that has a sequel. It's where we're finding and understanding what happened after Jesus left, what happened after Jesus was buried. Eyewitnesses account shows that he raised from the dead and then left to go to the heavenly realm and really left people behind, right? And 14 chapters earlier, before Jesus left his church behind, he said, you're going to go and you're going to be disciple-makers. This is what you're going to go do. So now we fast forward 14 chapters, and here's what the early church is doing. Surprise! They're making disciples! And they're doing it really, really effectively. And what's interesting about being a disciple-maker, more than being a disciple, is when you're a disciple-maker, you know what it requires you to do? It requires you to entrust into someone else it requires you to hand off leadership and potential and hand off the control of saying i am your teacher you are my tutor and eventually you make a full-blown other disciple in which you entrust see disciple making in what jesus 14 chapters earlier as the church was beginning entrusted people into was a trust in people to pull off What God had commissioned them to do. A lot of trust placed on the shoulders of people to pour into other people. Imperfect people pouring into other imperfect people. See, disciple making was a priority of Jesus. And what do you know? As we see as the early church is continuing on, 14 chapters into the story of the early church. The early church is doing just as Jesus commissioned to be disciple makers. They were winning large numbers of disciples. It's a beautiful way that this section of Scripture starts off to remind us of the meat, to remind us of the main point, the main thrust, the main purpose of why this thing called church exists. Because we can have so many definitions, but I love how the book of Acts Shows and stays pure to the idea that Jesus has commissioned his church to be disciple makers. Then it continues on in Acts 14 with 21b. We start getting into some geography, so we're going to break this down. It says, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So there's all these random names, right? So we're going to have a map up here to help kind of understand, like, what's happening in this section of Scripture. So at the top of the screen there, you can see um, this is obviously the Mediterranean Sea, what modern-day Mediterranean Sea area, the coastal area of the Mediterranean Sea. And we see Derby being that kind of beginning place. And then we, we, we see they're, they're heading in all these different directions, and what's interesting about this is they're heading back in directions that they had already been. See, they've been on this large journey to go tell people about, man, what's what's God doing in the midst of humanity right now? And they've made their way through some of these cities, and now they're, they're making their way back. They're returning to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, which is not the same Antioch in The Syrian Antioch as their final destination, but as a different city, conveniently, called Antioch, which on the map you can see is located, it's called Pisidian. So they're heading back to all these different places, and it says that, the scripture says, they're strengthening the disciples. They're encouraging them to remain true to the faith. They're reminding them that this isn't going to be easy either. They're reminding them there's many hardships that you're going to have to endure to enter the kingdom of God. You see, on this mission, these guys have been led by God. His spirit has been leading them. And his spirit has been leading them to places where there's unexpected obstacles. But this is how God's so amazing. We live in a sinful world where we have free will. And the way that God works when it comes to our opposition, he's like, okay, sin manifests here, obstacle, person that's acting crazy, person that is against me. And God's like, I'll lead you there and I'll show you my strength and I'll use that as an obstacle that, yeah, might hurt you, might give you a little bit of pain. But on the other side of it, when you trust me and you place your trust in the midst of these bad situations because of the curse of sin, I'm going to get you through it, and you are going to be a better, stronger person on the other side. See, it's amazing that the Holy Spirit directs us in directions where sometimes we have to face the fact that we live in a painful, sinful world. But God's like, watch this. Push through the pain, and on the other side, you're going to be stronger. You're going to be more equipped. You're going to be better fit to face the future obstacles and to encourage the people around you that are struggling and suffering with the same thing. See, this is God's perspective, and this is what God is allowing the early church to push through, because this was a handful, hundreds of people trying to spread the message of what God was doing. We know the modern day stats of billions of people who self-identify as Christians, but this is the origin story, and it's one of pain, it's one of strength. It's one of imperfect people finding the grace of God in the midst of really tough situations that whether we like it or not, we many times are sent into. But in that scripture, if we could put that back up on the screen. 14, 21B, yeah. It says, we must, this is how they were encouraging people during this time. We must go through many hardships To enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus preached that, first message Jesus ever preached, he said the kingdom of God is at hand. He's like, this is is not far. This is within reach. Where Jesus came, the manifest rule and reign of God came with him. But what this scripture is alluding to is the kingdom of God. The kingdom to come. The kingdom in its fullness. The full manifestation. The time on the earth where there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. When things don't, see, we live in a time where the kingdom of God is present. Jesus' rule and reign comes, intercepts our reality, but we still have to own up to the fact that we live in a sinful world. But this is future-oriented in how they're encouraging the disciples. They're saying, this is a part of who we are. In order to get to the full kingdom, no pain, we get to the other side of this point on the earth there's gonna be hardships. There's a focus on maturing. There's a focus on withstanding trials. There's a focus on getting to the other side of the obstacles that are in our way. way. There's a focus on finishing well. But unfortunately, in our day and age, many times we don't give time to see the end result. And we love to cast our own opinions in the midst of people's processing. A couple of names I want to throw up on the screen this morning Peter and Judas. Now, one of those names probably sticks out to you if you're familiar with the biblical narrative, if you're familiar with the Bible, if you're familiar kind of with the story of Jesus. Both of these guys are really biblical all stars. But one of them is specifically known for doing some bad stuff. Like, if you like Lady Gaga, Judas, Judas, right, you know? Like, anybody heard that song, right? Like, not a great guy. You're like, why are you singing that? Um, It it was actually a pretty good song, if I'm being honest. Anyway, um, (laughs) Judas is known for a bad reputation. He's known as the guy who turned his back on Jesus. He's known as the guy who failed. See, he lived long enough where the legacy was defined. He lived long enough where there was obstacles in his way, and the way that he finished, we wouldn't define as finishing well. But we compare it to a name like Peter, and here's what we do. We forget that Peter was a racist against Gentiles. He wasn't down with this other race and the grace that God was giving to them. He's the guy that denied Jesus three times. And in the midst of that process, how easy is it for other people to cast judgment and say, Peter, you're Judas. But he hasn't even finished yet. We haven't even given him an opportunity. This is so interesting because I love how there's such an emphasis on finishing well in the early church narrative. Because as human beings, this is what it's so easy for us to do, is to see people struggling from a distance, see people processing their faith, seeing people questioning their faith and saying, Judas! So easy. And here's here's what I know. You're going to be tempted to do that all the time. But here's what our job is. Peter, I see you. I see you in there. You might be racist. You might have some things in your life that you're not even aware of. But we're going to get into relationship, and we're going to solve this faith issue together in community. We focus on the process, judge in the middle of the process before anyone even h- hits the finish line. And I love the early church. There's this emphasis on saying obstacles are going to come. There's going to be times where you're questioning your faith, and there's a massive obstacle, and you're wrestling with God. The least thing that you need from the community of God is for people to throw stones and say, Judas, in those moments, you know what we need? We need people that are saying, I see Peter in you. I see the potential in you. I see that you are created in the image of God, which means you have dignity, which means you have worth, and we're going to pull that out and keep pushing through life together. But this is, this is so difficult, and it's a beautiful, beautiful model that many times as the church we have to focus on understanding where the finish line is. Do not count people out before they've crossed their finish line. Because life is hard. Obstacles come our way. Each and every one of us are going to face different obstacles that it's going to be easy for us to throw stones with our own judgment and opinions in the midst of that. Don't do that. Be a friend. Process faith with people in community. Do not cast judgment from a distance. Don't do what so many people are, are often tempted to do and to throw the mask of Judas on someone who hasn't even hit the finish line. That's not our job. That's the church. See, community is built by Jesus to encourage one another in our faith even in those darkest moments. Even in those moments where we might actually reflect more of the character of Judas than we do of Peter but we need people to help process and dig us out of those Judas-like moments. See, it's hard to take chances on people when you don't know what the end result's gonna be. That's the danger. This person's acting in a way I don't want them to act. I don't have control of the, this person's moral behavior. It's risky. It's risky getting down in the trenches with people in those types of situations and seasons of their life. But this is the very place the church has been called to execute God's love and his mission. Let's continue. 1423, it keeps going. Paul and Barnabas, now it says they appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is mind-blowing. This is where it starts to get a little mind-blowing for me. i got to be honest. Like, uber-trust. Like, we're like visiting places a few times, and now we're appointing elders. See, there's governance in in the way that the church is set up. And a, This slide uh, up on the screen, it's going to help us. This is from a previous message specifically that was, was in a former series. But there's two main governing titles that the, the Bible gives for the church, elders and deacons. Elders many times transition into the language of what we would c- equate to a lead pastor, right? My current role, I'm the elder of the church, right? And then we have deacons, which represents leadership, leaders in our church. You know, for our church, this would be small group leaders. This would be our ministry team leaders who have leadership over our teams on Sundays, right? Different governance. Our board, our, 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 our church council would be, a, 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 right, a, a group of deacons that help steward and empower the vision of the direction that God has empowered within The elders, right? The lead, the lead dogs. And and once again, this word doesn't pop up too many times in the New Testament narrative, but this is one of the times it's popping up. And the posture is really interesting because they're praying over people second time through, and they're empowering them to be elders, to be the guy. I love what N.T. Wright had to say about this as I was studying uh, this section of Scripture. He says this, all that Paul did was to come through town a few days or weeks after his first preaching. First preaching, one sermon in everybody, to appoint elders. To fast and pray and lay hands on them and then to move on. Apart from the odd letter and a follow-up visit in a few years' time, if they were lucky, that was it. They were on their own. It's fascinating because right now, I don't know about you, that makes me super, super uncomfortable in the control that we've constructed many times in what we want to see and control and have our fingers in when it comes to the big, massive idea of church. This makes me feel uncomfortable. When I read through this and was studying this week, I'm like, no, surely this isn't what they did. This is how the early church was functioning. This is how they were pulling off the mission of God. But this big worry, the big worry comes in front of us. Are these people properly prepared? They're going to screw it all up. Here's what I'll say. Speak from my own experience. Was I 100% Prepared to be the lead elder of this church? Let me be real clear and honest with you. Absolutely not. But someone took a chance on me. Multiple people in my life who saw more Peter in me than Judas took chances on me. I'm here today. As a byproduct of God's grace, I never want to devalue that. But I'm also here today based on the simple practical reality of God's presence and manifestation through spirit-led people who believed and took a chance on me. It's taken growth, intentional learning, there's some pain wrapped up in there, there's a lot of processing, and there's a tough reality that I've had to face That not everyone's willing to endure at the pace of pastor's personal growth, imperfections, and mistakes. That's a really tough pill to swallow. But but let me make it clear. My job as the lead pastor, elder of this church, isn't to make sure that everybody's on board with what we're doing and what we believe God is doing. My job is to never give up on you and I won't, and I'm not, and we are called here, and in the midst of it all, the obstacles, the learning, I look back these past three years, I'm like, I've never drank from such a fire hose in my entire life, you know what I'm saying, but I'm better for it, and I'm seeing the grace of God on the other side of it, as he's continuing to write my story, as I haven't hit the finish line yet, and there's voices that are saying, Judas, Judas, And there's other voices, the voices that, man, keep me going, that are saying, Peter, I see you in there. I see you. I see the imperfect guy who doesn't have it all together, but somehow manages as an imperfection to be the so-called leader of the church. Peter was the first pope in the Catholic tradition, everybody. And he was a racist when he first started following Jesus. That doesn't fly in 2019. But in the way Jesus allowed it to process was through relationship, through growth, through intentionality, to allowing a life that's messed up to continue to form and look more and more and more like Jesus at a pace you might be uncomfortable with. See, this is what happened. They laid their hands on these leaders and these future elders and it really reminds us why laying on of hands and what it, what it represents, what it means. See, in this situation, you can't deny what the laying on of hands actually meant. It meant I'm committing these people to the Lord. And I actually am doing it. Because I don't have the freedom to pick up my phone, text, call, be in constant communication. Paul and Barnabas were like, we're entrusting you to the Lord. We're laying hands on you, and we're going to be gone. Paul's like, you might hear from me, a letter from me, but we are literally appointing you and saying you're God's. We're trusting you with God. And here's what happens when you do that. Something horrible happens called sometimes people screw up. Sometimes they succeed. See, we're taking chances on people. Taking a chance on another imperfect human being when we don't even clearly see the finish line see this wasn't a laying on hands where it's like grabbing at hierarchical order right like let's just create this hierarchy they were laying on hands because they're saying we're spreading the mission of god and we got to entrust and believe jesus this is in your hands this is your church it's not mine you build your church and the gates of hades will not prevail against it as jesus said See, laying on of hands of people to become elders is the complete opposite of taking control. It's relinquishing control and saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust God that in the midst of imperfect human beings, your will, your ultimate will, what you need to be accomplished will be accomplished through what we can easily consider ourselves to be boneheaded human beings. There was a releasing of control, because Jesus is responsible, ultimately, for his church. But it freaks, it freaks us out. When we begin to take chances on other people. Let's keep going here. Acts 14, 24 through 26. Keeps going, okay. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, from Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. Let's show that map again. So now, um, now they're, they're, they're popping all over the place, and now they're ending at their final destination, which is the other Antioch, right? But, th- but once again, they're following this model where they have literally came to these places, told people about Jesus. People were like, I'm going to follow that God. And then they zip back around one more time, encourage them lay hands on them, anoint them to be elders, the governing officials of the church, trusting them to the Lord. And then they're zipping back around to the starting point to celebrate, to share the things that God had done. See, I love it because the scripture highlights what they were initially committed into, which was the grace of God. Which meaning that they were going to get to experience all sorts of experiences that they didn't that they didn't deserve see the grace of God allows us to experience and receive something beautiful in which we don't deserve and there was a ton of family grace that they were led to they were pushed to